Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Once in Future Authors podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by author Jason Gardner. Jason is actually joining me from Paris, and his book, A Flower in the Mouth, The Beauty and Burden of Carnival in Pernambuco, Brazil, is just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Uh, for those of you who are listening, well, you're just going to have to head over uh, to his website at jasongardner.net and see some of the pictures. Uh, if you're seeing us today, you're going to get a little, a little glance, but jasongardner.net is where you can find Jason and his pictures of Carnival and a million other things because, wow, I've been looking at those pictures of, of France and Morocco as well. So welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, it's great to be here. Oh, I, I love your website, especially right now that we're kind of locked down. It's like being on vacation. And uh, I said to you that I, I've been to Morocco, thankfully, right before pandemic. And um, your pictures, the, the ones that you posted there of Morocco are, are, I felt like the pictures I wish I had taken. Yeah, especially the past one that you that you commented on. Yeah, separately from this book project that we're going to discuss in the last year, I've done this thing called Armchair Traveler series, which is on my site, which me going in my archive of 15 plus years of travel photography and pulling out certain images to help to brighten people's feeds and these things and, you know, posting once every couple of days or so. And it's been a really great response to be able to connect with people that way, to show people different places and to broaden my reach a little bit with, uh, with the audience. Where can we find that? Um, it's on my site, jasongardner.net, oh, and there's a section right. called Armchair Traveler. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And some of that's on my Instagram as well. Okay. And your Instagram handle is? Um, it's at visualanthropology1, the number one. Fantastic. Okay. We're, we need to spicing up our feeds, that's for sure. <laughs> and until we can go someplace ourselves. But as much as I love to travel, my photographs don't look like yours. I take them with an iPhone. So uh, how did you get involved in photography in the first place before we even get to the book? Oh, well, it came from traveling, actually. Um, in my mid-20s, I got tired of the, the sort of business uh, corporate grind. I'd had a job for a few years. And, you know, a lot of people call it the quarter life crisis, you know in your mid-20s. And I, I started backpacking around the world and I was going to go for three months or six months. I ended up being gone for two years straight, working and traveling throughout. Um, and this is Middle East, Southeast Asia, India, Indonesia, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, New Z you know, these sort of places. When I came back, besides trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I started looking at the photos that I shot with my little point and shoot film camera. This is in the mid nineties. Um, and I, I, you know, I'd always had a dream of being a photographer, but not knowing what that meant, but 
seeing the work, I did a little exhibit, a pop-up exhibit uh, before there were pop-ups and uh, sold some work, was encouraged. And I said, well, you know, might as well do what you love and it doesn't feel like work. Oh my gosh. I love that story. You, you just got a whole lot of people to, to turn off the podcast and just make reservations. They're just out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and wait, what did you call the midlife crisis in your twenties? I didn't know. A quarter, a quarter life crisis. A quarter life crisis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A whole lot of people just said, I didn't know I was allowed to have that. I missed it. Is it too late? <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> it's not, it's too, not late, too late. Folks. I, but I, basically from a, from a fundamental level, I come back from, doing all sorts of experiences, largely backpacking and on the cheap and, and, you know, by myself and, and these things. And um, I thought to myself, when I returned back to New York, what do you want? Like, what do you want to do? Seriously, what do you want to do? And what, and I kept on coming back to photography. Like that's always been something that I've had a passion for. And so I thought, well, if any time to do it, it's now. And so I'm pretty much self-taught in terms of the technical compositional uh, aspects of that, but I'm also self-taught in how to run a business and to be a photographer. That's two separate things, oh. which is a whole other conversation. A whole other conversation. And then how to be uh, an author, a published author is, is you're a multifaceted person. Yeah. Well, in order for me to think, and I say this to a lot of uh, potential authors, be they photographic or regular, you think of your book as, you know, almost like a product. It's your personality, but it's also who's it going to speak to? Where does your audience live? You know, and so I had to think about that when I was raising the funds for my book uh, before I published it. I am so excited that you said that because you and I are speaking to the same choir and I am constantly mentioning that the thinking about the audience should come before we write the book. Right. <laughs> In my case, it came more like I shot it. I wanted it. I wanted it to be a book, and then I had to think about the audience who would resonate with supporting the book. Right. Right. As it was, so I kind of was halfway in between. Exactly. <laughs> well, tell me about Carnival. How did you get interested in Carnival and the the book? You know, little. Right. So this book, A Flower in the Mouth, basically is a project that I photographed over five different visits to um, this one area in Brazil. Uh, Recife is the city in Pernambuco in the States, in Northeast Brazil. And it's well known within Brazil, but not very well known outside as being a place that's um, not the easiest, not the most touristic, not the safest place in the world by far. Um, and because of that, or in despite of it, um, it retained a lot of its authenticity. And I hate using that word, but for lack of a better word, in terms of its culture and folklore. And that's reflected in the carnival. So let's go up uh, a, a high level. You know, what is carnival? Like most people know it as like maybe Mardi Gras in New Orleans or Carnival in Rio. Well, the, the festival of carnival is actually uh, pre-Christian, it's pagan, right? So it's this idea of the change of the seasons, of renewing, of, of renewing things, of kind of like the the winter turning to spring. And there's many other things tied to it, but in a sense, the power of putting on a mask, of transforming yourself, of becoming someone else, of going outside of yourself, of your normal routine, that's a very powerful thing. And it's very strong in Brazil because carnival originated in Europe, 
And uh, in Brazil, it was European colonialism combined with the slave trade uh, to mix this sort of cauldron of culture to make both uh, African influences and European influences. And historically, the um, in Carnival, the Africans, um, the slaves, were not permitted to practice their religion. Um, and so during Carnival, they were they were able to. It's called syncretism. They were able to do parallel to say, "Oh no, no, we're 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 celebrating, you know, this Christian God, right? This Christian deity, this Christian, you know, spirit or saint." But it was actually one of their own. And so that's how it flourished in, in that way. Recife in Pernambuco is really well known uh, for being super authentic in terms of the carnival and the music and the culture that supported it. So um, why this has been relevant, you know, for me, after shooting it and after producing a book, it's helped me uh, to have a lot of exhibits. I've presented this in Lincoln Center, New York, uh, in a solo exhibit right before one of the groups that I photographed performed. Um, I... I presented this work in New Orleans Jazz Fest um, in two music festivals, both in Toronto at an art festival um, and at many, many exhibits all around the world, including New York, Geneva, uh, Paris, of course, and um, recently Belgrade, Serbia, of all places. So um, there's definitely an interest. And the reason why I ended up going to this place in Brazil, because when I, I... was starting my photography career um, and I was shooting a lot of musicians and music was my first passion. So I thought, well, I'm gonna photograph some musicians here in New York and I started with independent musicians and I got bigger ones. I started, I shot Bob Dylan and Isaac Hayes and all these people. And as I started getting better and better at that and doing magazine covers and all these things, art directors and people who are critical in terms of the photography world, curators would say, we wanna see a personal work. We wanna see you do a project of your own. And I thought for me, it was, well, music. I love to travel, I love culture. Everyone said, you gotta go to Brazil. But I didn't wanna go to Brazil and not know anything. So I started doing a lot of research and I started talking at first to anyone who would talk to me about Brazil, had been there, Brazilian expats, that sort of thing. And I I also started talking with ethnographers who studied music in Brazil. And they said, you could go to Rio, which is really well known. You go to Bahia, which is in the Northeast, Salvador de Bahia, which is also well known. You could do a project there, but consider Recife. Like multiple ethnographers told me to look about Recife because um, of those factors that I said, that it was like a little bit less known and still pretty, you know, a gem. And so because of that, and because it was a small scene, smaller, but still very vibrant, um, they had connected me with five or six people before I even got there. And I was able to hit the ground running. And I went, the first one was um, 2004, off season, October. And I, I photographed two groups. I followed two traditional music groups as they practiced, as they dressed, as they did portraits of them, the whole thing. Uh, at the end of that, uh, they said, oh, this is all great and fine, but you have to come back for Carnival because that's when the, most of the stuff happens. And so I went back a few months later for the Carnival season and I, I shot like crazy for some weeks and, and I went deeper and deeper and deeper and I came back and I realized I'd only scratched the surface. It was that wide of a, of a culture. And what I mean by that, just to go down one level of detail, it's not like one type of music that dominates. There's six or eight types with different ethnographic groups that, that all happen at the same time during Carnival. There's 
50, 80, 100 groups uh, of, of musicians, of costumes, and there's all these separate, similar to the Rio Samba Club, um, the Samba schools, excuse me, there are all these schools of called blocos, B-L-O-C-O-S, that kind of every year had their traditions specific to that street, to that neighborhood, to that region. So it was fascinating and really, really uh, intense. So I decided to keep returning to that place um, and to go kind of like peeling away the layers of each, uh, each time I went. And I did that by returning uh, and actually bringing photos. So to some extent, people are always asking me, how do you, uh, how do you keep the access? How do you keep the relationship with the group? Well, even back then I would bring prints and some of them had never had done photos of themselves because during carnival, they're too busy and cell phones were not ubiquitous then. Uh, so I would give it and they would love it for their family. Also, I would bring some of my work and, and some people who had kind of been in the fringe of my contact, they said, oh, I like to see what you've been photographing, but you're missing something. Come next weekend, I'm gonna show you. And they would take me deep in, you know, they would take me to, to start to see ceremonies and, and rituals and practices that most people had never seen before. So it was very private. So uh, that to me made a more rich project than just the streets, the public face of carnival. It's really the, the behind the scenes of an authentic carnival. So to some extent, like why would you be interested in the book? Um, on one level, you could be able to see uh, an area of the world that um, you may not be able to get to and travel virtually in a sense, but also it's seeing a festival that is super powerful for them. I mean, everyone thinks Mardi Gras uh, in New Orleans, it happens during one day, Fat Tuesday, the Tuesday before Lent, right? But in New Orleans, and also much more in Brazil, Mardi Gras happens for months. Uh, it starts the beginning of January, uh, Three Kings, January 6th. And so usually it goes for a good six to eight weeks, every weekend, sometimes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, that kind of thing. But carnival happens for the whole year, really. They're preparing, they're sewing, they're, they're practicing. It's really a, a way of life. It's core to their existence, to their identity. Wow. I, I had no idea about the whole, um, well, how you got involved being actually through your love of music. Right. It started there. Yeah. That's just phenomenal. Now I'm wondering and wishing, is there like a companion CD to the book so I can... Are you really asking that? Look in the back. I, I'm looking at the back. The back cover. See that card there? So there's a companion. Uh, uh, was that not a trick question? Was that a layout? Yeah. So what I did was I created uh, with some of the musicians that I worked with in, in this book. Look at that. Uh, it disappears because of the Zoom. Yeah. Um, there's, a com there's an audio companion of, I believe, nine tracks that you can download. So music from the region. And if it, if the download doesn't work when you purchase it, you can email me or contact me and I will send you the code to download because there's a little weird expiration thing with, with the card. It sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. Oh my but my, my concept there was to do a little bit of a multimedia experience to be able to have, so you can listen to some of the groups while you, while you look at the book. Fantastic. Yes, because now it's, it's a, it's a visual experience and now we, and now knowing that your inspiration to even go to the region Yep. And, and one other note about the book itself. Um, it's not a traditional photography book. 
I would say. It's a photographer, it's mostly photographs, but it's a lot of writing as well. Um, and I did that on purpose because if you, uh, when I tried just doing a, a book of photographs, it was powerful, but people kept on asking me, what does that mean? And what's the significance of this? And what they want to know the backstory, the context. So for me, I needed to actually understand what the thing I was photographing and how it related to everything else. So in doing that sort of journalistic work, I created what I like to think of as like mini magazine articles per, per chapter that kind of dug deep without taking away in design from the photographs to show. So if you want to read about it, you can, but it doesn't stop you from just go leafing through the book. Right. And people have said that resonates with them in terms of they can get a feel for the images and then go deeper and read about what they want. Oh, that's fabulous. Because just hearing you speak about the region and what Carnival really means to them changes everything, you know, to, to me uh, from wow, here's some pretty pictures of the parade. You know, that's correct. That, that's right. That's my impression at first is, oh, let's look at some really gorgeous pictures of the parade. And now realizing, oh, no, 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 we're actually delving deep into an entire culture. Yeah. And that's a common thing, especially when Brazilian carnivals, basically, let's say Rio is marketed as the Sambodrome, which is this gorgeous show but it's really a show and and brazilians derogatorily call it like hollywood you know it's very um cosmetic and uh, superficial it's a beautiful show but it doesn't get even past the surface of what does this mean and how is this important to me and all these things uh that and that's the opposite you, you'll see very few if none no bikinis no feathers you know um <laughs> It's really a lot of traditional characters. And this book uh, is a combination of the city carnival and also the country carnival, which is like one level even deeper that's harder to see. Um, and it's about half and half of that. Right. It's, it's very funny that you said that about the bikinis and the feathers, because I, I firmly admit that when your book arrived, I thumbed through and I said, this doesn't look like carnival. <laughs> That's I, my whole point. That I was you know, expecting bikinis and feathers. Right. That this is not that. That's the farthest thing from that. In fact, you know, the, the other theme is that carnival is not just a party. It's a way of life. It's an identity. It's core to their existence. Similar to music is, you know, Brazil, you can't walk 50 meters without hearing music, you know, uh, be it from the cafe or from a, you know, a bar or whatever, or people's homes. And carnival is the same. Wow. Oh. Yeah. That, that was such a great deep dive because as I said, definitely not the carnival I expected when I, when I thumbed through. And you're absolutely right. Our impression of what carnival means is a parade, a parade that happens on Fat Tuesday and then it's over. Well, also uh, a lot of the music and musicians, for example, let's talk about the cover for a second, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, this is a man. So it's cross-dressing. Okay. For sure. <laughs> Second of all, it's he's in a group um, that's called Maracatu, which is African influenced drumming, as, along with a cortege, um, uh, a parade of kings and queens and and princes and the court. Right. Right. So the Brazilian, the first of all, the drumming, uh, 
it's very deep, it's very sonic, and it it allows, it's basically often the groups are from the favelas, right? They're the poorest of the poor. And in this case, during carnival, everything becomes inverted. So like the poorest of the poor dress up in their finery and they are kings and queens for four days. But also it allows them to say, this is us, this is our identity. This is what we've put our energy into learning these songs and connecting with our African roots. And the third thing is that it's actually a local competition. So it, it's in a sense, their scholarship, their way out. So if the, if the local group plays and they compete in carnival and they get selected for the best prize during carnival, either being the look or the musical uh, togetherness or the whole package, then throughout the next year, they're hired by the local prefecture or the mayor or the state to do functions and dinners and they, and they make money. So there's this, there's more on the line than just pure fun. Right, right. Oh, very interesting. They really trusted you to let you dive deep like that. Yeah, it was a combination of diving deep and sharing the photos with them and circling back to the ethnographers who I started to collaborate with and getting their take on that. And then circling back with some of the other people who were kind of the intermediaries, maybe they're middle class between the, the root group and then myself. And so it's a kind of conversation and collaboration. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? And how do I, you know, I'm really the bridge of this culture. Yeah. Now, how many trips in all did you make down there for this? Uh, five total, four carnivals. Oh. There's the first one off season and four carnivals. Yeah. And it was between 2004, 2010, which <laughs> is significant because so the, the, this book, I was lucky in selecting Brazil because during that time uh, on the world stage, Brazil was increasing massively. Um, you had the World Cup and you had the Olympics and you had the economic powerhouse. Um, it's changed a bit then. We're not going to get into that. But because all that stuff was happening, it made it very relevant for me to publish the book because there's a lot more attention being paid to Brazil as a culture. Right, right. So, so what was suggested to you as we'd like to see a personal project became a six-year journey yeah well more like obsession <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so for all those people out there who think that a personal project is just going to take a couple of months we just want to tell you get your passports ready yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's um certainly as i mentioned before I, I got some great exhibits out of it and great artist talks out of it as well as being seen as someone who's creating a project out of nothing. You know, it certainly helps a lot um, on, on multiple levels, um, both my assignment work and it's influencing my next project, which is, uh, in fact, I'm going to be doing Carnival Around the World, which we'll talk about at the end, I think. Yeah, fantastic, shooting now. fantastic. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, five trips down there. You've now amassed, I guess, thousands of pictures. How does that get to this? Right. So how do I organize? So the question is, how do I organize all of this content, photos, and to some extent text and these things? How do I organize it into a more cohesive project, right? Well, let's start, like many authors, with the table of contents. So the next page, yeah, contents. Let's see how I can do it. So I split it into three chapters, in a sense. Carnival. Oh, sorry. Carnival, culture, and ceremony, right? And the way I see it is, if you think about a pyramid, right, the base 
is the carnival, right? That's the thing that maybe it's the reverse. Maybe it's an inverted pyramid. Yeah. The, the most public is the carnival. That's on the street. That's the parade that you mentioned. The culture is like the groups that I photograph, their practices, all the different uh, groups that make up the culture. And then ceremony were the very private, um, usually an hour walk in the favela in an unmarked house, um, eight hour ceremony, which is linked to carnival because people often need the ceremony to be ready to come, kind of go out in a, in a real way. But um, the religious aspect of, of the carnival. Yeah. Wow. So the way I structured the book was they would first enter into kind of in, in a sense how I saw it. I first saw the very public carnival and then I went to some practices. Then I, then I got to understand how the group was. And then after returning a few times, I started getting invited to the more private ceremonies. So that's kind of how the, the sort of arrow of the book, the, the sort of timeline of the book goes for me. And then what I did was I, I structured it. Oh, I don't know how I want to show, you know, some of the book is more just straight photos, right? And some of the book, as I mentioned, is more like, well, some of the book has some drop quotes. Okay. So like to some extent, this drop quote here, and it's in English and Portuguese, okay. was about, you know, why do you do this carnival? Why do you do, why do you spend all this time and money and, and, and energy on it? And to some extent, they said, well, it's to look beautiful, to be beautiful, but also to, to show who we are and we've always done it, you know? And then the third level was kind of doing like mini magazine article pieces, little, little articles. So someone could uh, dig deep into it, but the photos are still the top thing. Then uh, separately, let me see if I can quickly find it. Separately, what I did was I did mini fuller stories within, right? And that's a slightly different color treatment. That's like, oh, yes. I might tell, it's off blue mm -hmm. and it's a little bit longer of a piece okay. and usually about one story or one group. So that's kind of the, the sort of how I blueprinted the, the, the book. Um, and separately for writers and book producers, I had to deal with three different type fonts, right? There's the regular text, there's the drop quote. And then I need to treat the translations, it was English and Portuguese. I wanted to visually show that the English was different from the Portuguese. So it, it, it was pretty obvious that you could, if you were a native English or a Portuguese speaker, you could read one uh, flow the whole time. And that all I worked out with my designer. I'm not a designer. I had someone professionally work with me um, and all of these things. Fantastic. So, that, that, hope that helped. Question. Do you speak Portuguese? I do. I do not fluently, but good enough to get around. Did you before you went to Brazil? Mm, no, I studied a little bit to, to get to get my foot to get my feet wet, but it was only after the third or fourth visit, really, where I could actually get around decently. <laughs> before it was a lot of like broken sentences, and you know, and I had a couple of people who spoke English who helped me, but uh, it was tricky. Yeah. Wow, what what a journey! This is just such an amazing journey, and I love the way you. You divvied it up and and gave thought. This is some, you know so important for people to realize. Gave thought to things like wanting people to have flow through the whole book in English or Portuguese. Yeah. Wanting people to dive deeper and having the text, but not have it take away from the photographs. And so those people who wanted to just look 
they can look and those people who wanted more of a, a lesson in it can dive deep. That's yeah. Important. And again, it's not a traditional straight photography book, which is usually like there's a, there's an introduction and then there's photos and then there's captions at the end. I kind of did it differently. Yeah. Um, and it, some of it came from the evolution of thinking about a lot and showing it to people and them saying, well, these are great photos, but what does it mean? And I need to know more context. And then some of it was me strongly feeling like I wanted to do the right thing by the story um, to sh and to showing that the, that there's a lot of significance behind it. It's not just a drunken party. It's not just looking great costumes. Um, yeah, it's totally separate. Oh, I'm so glad that you did because you're, you're absolutely right. My entire perception of it has changed. Seeing the book, hearing you speak about it, you know, my, my vision of it is, wow, not feathers and bikinis. That's yeah. Plus also my experience over many, um, many different visits was like almost like a spiral. So I'd start with one, one group, like the Monica two group is what I started with. But by the third trip, I was kind of circling back then, but I was going deeper within uh, the culture and, and experiencing other things. And as I kept on returning, some places I chose to shoot further and some places I broadened out where I was like, ooh, I've heard of that aspect of the culture, but I've never photographed it. Now my third time, someone knows someone who can get me there. So I'm gonna go there, you know? And then also because during carnival, it's super intense. It's four days of insanity of day and night. I mean, literally they don't stop. You can't cover the whole thing at one time anyway. It's just, you can't because things happen simultaneously. Yes. So, you know, the second trip, the third trip, I'll be like, oh yeah, I didn't get a chance to go there. So now I'm going to go there. Amazing. So what is next on the docket for you? Well, next on the docket is, so the years that I couldn't go to Brazil, because I couldn't go to Brazil every year, even in this project, I started when I was in New York, uh, going to places like Trinidad and Tobago, uh, New Orleans, and also um, uh, the countryside of Louisiana. They have a totally separate Cajun carnival, which is nothing like uh, Bourbon Street. Um, and then I went to Dominican Republic and these places. When I moved to Europe in 2016, I started exploring the European carnival, uh, which includes both Western and Eastern Europe. Um, currently it's Spain, Bulgaria, France, Slovenia. That's just Europe off the top of my head. There's a lot of Austria. Um, I, I did a trip to West Africa because Africa has carnival too, um, these kind of things. And now about at around 15 different areas, 15 different carnivals. So the next book will probably be carnival around the world. Wow. I've heard of carnival in Venice. I hadn't heard of right. those other places in Europe. I won't go to Venice for carnival. The reason why is because the carnivals that I focus on are the more ethnographic, usually they're like a small village in, in the mountains. The carnival in Venice, while it is beautiful visually, it's, it's primarily for tourists and you have to pay a lot to get a costume. There's very few locals. And um, I, I shouldn't say I haven't experienced it directly, but as I understand it, it's lost some of its original meaning. Gotcha. gotcha. For, for, and that's fine. It's just not what I choose to cover it doesn't fit with the rest of the work it doesn't fit with the rest of what you're looking at and that's why this is so different because it's not rio it's you know it's not the picture of carnival it's not the the public you know view of what we think it is that giant spectacle 
which yep. I guess I guess Venice is the Rio of Europe, shall we say, when it comes to carnival. <laughs> as far as spectacle. to some extent, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they they did a great job to publicize the concept of carnival globally, you know, for many, 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 many years. But um, the I think on, on a very deep level. For me, the photos of Carnival and the act of Carnival itself, it's akin to the analog experience, meaning that in today's digital world, now there's a resurgence of people wanting to have analog film and vinyl and you know read actual books, right? Um, the Carnival experience, there's more of a popularity, actually. It's helped by Instagram. It's easy for people to see what it is, but among young people, there's a revitalization, there's a return to um, their roots. And to some extent during Carnival, you can enter into this other world, explore your, explore your ancestors from a thousand years ago, what that felt like. And you don't need to live stream it because you'll, you'll never be able to necessarily convey that on digital platform, what it feels like the grittiness, the analog feel. How, how on earth did you meet people? Because you're not talking about going to Carnival like I would go when I get a hotel reservation. And you're talking about real Carnival. Deep, deep, way deep in deep, there, yeah. And, and, and even to know which of these places to go to, which, which places, are, how, how does that all come about? That's just amazing to me. Um, a lot of it is research and cross cross-referencing what, what people are saying. Uh, the first year or two in Europe, it was tricky because I didn't know much, but um, I kind of started with one local carnival here in France. Mm -hmm. And as I got to be known for the guy who shoots carnival in Europe, people started recommending me places. But the breakthrough was, again, I collaborated with those who know uh, carnival. Although my project is different in that I've never seen a photographer who shot multiple carnival. I've seen a lot of photographic projects about carnival, but I've never seen one about multiple ones around the world. Um, there's one guy who does it. Uh, I'm not going to go into it, but he does it in a very different way. He, he does uh, composed portraits and he goes off season. I go actually during the festival and photograph them in situ in the environment. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm thinking that this next book is going to be a really, really fat book. Could be. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if this is one carnival in one location. Right. Now you just rattled off, you know, a half a dozen at the very Right. Long. Right. And the, in terms of titles and themes, you know, a flower in the mouth, I call it the beauty and the burden because it's not just a beautiful thing. It's a burden, not being negative, but just being an obligation, being this thing that they kind of work on all year and it's work. That is um, and I call it right now um, the, the, the title, the working title of the carnival project is return to carnival, which, which is kind of referencing a little bit of that returning to your roots. And so what I saw a lot in Europe was that, yeah, the carnival, the traditional, super traditional, uh, almost pagan still carnival happens in a little mountain village in Bulgaria. And, and, you know, modern people from Sofia would drive back to their home village for the carnival to kind of re to put on the mask and then, and then kind of lose themselves. And uh, that I found fascinating too, that kind of 
revalorization of these old ways. Jason, what happened to Carnival these past two years? This year didn't happen that much. Right. This past year, February of this year. Um, February, Jan and Feb of 2020, I photographed eight carnivals, luckily. So that gave me a lot of content right before lockdown. Wow. It, it only happened in March, lockdown last year. So yeah, and this year where there were very few, there were a little local ones that, that kind of, and I, but I didn't really do anything. I kind of wanted to stay safe. Yes. But yeah, that's the, the other factor is number one, well, globally, the significance of wearing a mask has changed dramatically obviously, right? Um, and two, um, we're not sure in what form this culture will come back. Will it come back to the exact same? Maybe not. So this work that I'm going to be working on, you know, editing and putting together may be a sort of document of a previous time. Oh my gosh, you, you know, you're right. And I'm sure when you were shooting it, you never thought that in a million years. No, no, I didn't, didn't forecast that. Well. Who, who among us could have forecast this? <laughs> this is beyond yeah. the beyond. Well, I, I am so thrilled that you joined me today. I'm Thank you so much. It was great. That. Let me remind our uh, viewers and listeners where they can find more because, well, I'm diving in deep. For one thing, I'm going to be following you on Instagram when this is over. Um, JasonGardner.net is where you can find um, his book, A Flower in the Mouth, but also see some pictures of what he's working on today and um, going forward into his new book about carnival around the world also uh, sign up there and follow him on instagram so you can get first notice of what's going on and get the book but you definitely want to grab a flower in the mouth not just because the book is amazingly beautiful which it is but um so informative i mean i learned more in the past half hour than uh you know i knew in my entire life about carnival and, fantastic uh, also, the music, that is just the nice bonus in the back is that you can just put yourself right there on the street and see it and hear it and any time of the year, but you know, we're locked down. So you wanna see and hear Carnival because you weren't able to do so already. Yep, and uh, just a reminder, the Instagram handle is at visualanthropology1, the number one. And my website's jasongardner.net in which I do have an online store to sell both books and some prints if you want to decorate your home. Uh, I believe the book is being sold on a few online sites as well, but uh, maybe better to go through yeah, my site. Go to jasongardner.net. Jason, thank you. I can't thank you enough for being here today and introducing us to not just a gorgeous book, but a whole cultural way of life that we really would have known about. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us for Once and Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.